Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootser Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell a Bootser business. This episode is called Customer Retention, How to Keep Them Around. A quick note before we begin, I'm happy to announce that I've released my book Zero to Sold just a few days ago. I'll talk more about the whole launch process and the exciting things that happened there later. For now, just know that if you've been waiting for this for a while or are just curious about what Zero to Sold is, you can find out more at zerotosoldbook.com. And now let's get started with customer retention. When it comes to customer relationships, momentum is on your side. It is much easier to retain a customer than it is to find a new one. Once the initial inertia is surpassed, the effort that needs to be put into keeping a customer is significantly lower than acquiring and onboarding another customer. And a churned customer is a double loss. Not only do you have to find a new customer to replace them, to grow, you will need to find two new customers. That's why customer retention is of utmost importance to grow a business reliably. This focus on retaining a customer at all costs is somewhat new. Before the subscription economy, a repeat customer was something like a nice to have, but most of the time, the relationship with the customer was over right after the first transaction. Processes were optimized to get the customer through the order process and stop them from abandoning their cart, but once they ordered, it was over. The membership economy is very different. Customer retention is more important than getting new customers, as churn is the silent killer. Retention can be measured in renewal and cancellation rates. And keeping it as close to 100%, and that would be the retention, not the cancellation rate, as possible will decide if your business is sustainable or not. But luckily, there are several proven strategies to increase retention, and they all center around your relationship with your customers. The first one here that I feel is the most important one is value nurturing. Value nurturing strategies increase the customer's perceived value of your product, making the cancellation feel like a more significant loss to them. Showing your customers how much they benefit from your product will make them stick around longer. Your goal is to over and over again confirm your customer's belief that Choosing your service was a smart choice. Not only does it have to feel right for them, but it should also clearly be a good economic decision, both on their first day and right now. In an ideal world, customers would continuously notice what a fantastic product you provide them with. They would flood your customer service channels with thank you messages, and they would write long blog posts about how everyone should be a customer of your business forever. But sadly, life gets in the way and other things are much more important to your customers than telling you how great you are. That's why it's up to you to show them what they get. Show them their progress, how much they've improved ever since they've started using your service. Show them how well they do right now compared to other users and how much impact your service has in their lives. In short, just make the value that they receive visible to them inside your product and within your communication. And it's not only limited to this. The goal is to retain a customer and showing them what they get is just one way of keeping them around. You want your product to be something they depend on. When times are tough, you want your service to be the last one to be canceled. This is best accomplished by creating voluntary dependency. Offer something that your customers want to depend on. 
provide so much value compared to the alternatives out there that they willingly take the risk inherent in every choice of using an external product. And the word about value, we're not just talking about your revenue here. For your customers to stick around, your business needs to provide them with benefits and advantages every single time they use it. Your customer lifetime value is inextricably linked to the perceived value that your customers have of your product. And here's the trick to customer success. Increasing their revenue will increase yours. Make your customers successful. Help them grow the lifetime value of their own customers. And their lifetime value will expand as well. We talked about value nurturing. Let's talk about another thing, which is expectation management. Managing expectations is a very significant factor too. Being able to occasionally over-deliver will delight your customers as it is an unexpected bonus. I'm not saying you should consistently undersell your product, but surprising a customer with something good they didn't expect is a rare occurrence in the business world. Those who succeed at that will be remembered. Customers will tell a few people about a positive experience, but they will tell a few dozen people about a negative one. Keeping customers above the baseline will reduce the chance of them ranting to their peers, who may often be potential customers for your business. And every impression counts. At any touch point, you can synchronize expectations. You can find out what your customers are concerned with and adjust your priorities when those expectations change. From your customer's perspective, It's a magical thing to see a feature suggestion become an actual feature in the product. The level of trust in the brand and the decisions you make are incredibly important for renewal. By aligning what your customers expect you to do with your actual actions, trust will grow and value generation will happen along the expectations of your customers. And those expectations can really change over time. In the beginning, customers often have to find their footing both in their career and with your product. And they expect ease of use and being able to integrate your product into their workflow to be the most important part. After a few years, focus then shifts to perceived value as your service has become a regular part of your customer's work routine. Unless they're they're really needed, customers will ask less and less for new features and they will shift their focus onto existing parts of your offering and how the current set of features can be improved even more. Throughout a customer's lifetime, get a feel for the acceptance of and the desire for self-service in your customer base. In the beginning, you can respond to every support query yourself because you just really have a couple customers. But once you scale, more of your support will shift towards more asynchronous and self-help solutions. It's important to take your customers with you on that journey. The early adopter that you talk to every few days through your real-time chat will have to eventually understand that your attention is more divided the more you grow. Their expectations will need to change with your structural changes, and you can make that happen by just slowly and conveniently messaging that to them throughout the lifetime of your business. So after value nurturing and expectation management, Let's talk about another thing, and that would be at risk of leaving customers and how to find them. Because in the best case, a customer stays with you for many, many years. They love your product and their very wishes come true every time and they become catalysts for your marketing. But this is, in general, of course, 
utopian. Every single customer of yours has different problems and hardships in their lives, and what works for one may not work for the other. Inevitably, at some point, a few customers will think about canceling. If you want your retention to remain high, there are two things you can do. The first one is to convince them to stay before they even leave. The hard part is to figure out who's about to leave. You can track people clicking that button that starts the cancellation process and trigger a customer service conversation where it actually pulls you in before they cancel. That requires you to actually be present, but could help. Then maybe you want to tag this customer as someone who should receive a follow-up email asking what you can do for them or jump into this conversation immediately. You can track other things too that, that are different from a clear cancellation intent. Do they stop using the product for a long time? And stay clear of acting too quickly in these kind of cases, as this is often a result of a vacation or a parental leave or just having other priorities. But it is worth measuring that so you can have an indicator you can use to inform your communication strategy. And you can still decide not to do something, but having the data is key here. The other thing, other thing you can do um, when you can convince them to stay is to convince them to come back after they leave. This is your last chance to retain them as a customer. After someone cancels, give them a grace period of a few days or maybe a few hours, but eventually re-engage them. Depending on how shameless you want to be, ask them to return with a free month or even extend them the offer of a lifetime discount for returning on a paid subscription as long as it fits into your economic calculations and your brand, that's quite important here, keeping a customer is worth more than losing them, even with reduced revenue. There's a difference in what makes customers leave, and it is connected to how long they've been with you. Early customers are more likely to quit because of lower switching costs and less dependency on your service within their already established workflows. They're more jittery in a way, so expect their cohorts to cancel more. Long-term customers quit for different reasons. Either their perceived value decreases or decreases below a certain threshold, or the problem-solution fit of your service is misaligned. Take your customer size, the size of the business, and the age of that business into account when you craft your messaging for each cohort and find something that works for each of them. Because you could definitely talk differently to people who've been around for years and who've seen the kind of evolution of your product and may have committed to that and may have actually invested in that both by helping you figure out what to build next and by actually being there to help you test these changes. You can talk to these people differently. You can remind them of their prior commitment. So sort of actually using their their investment um, to make them aware of the value that they've already received from the business and you cannot talk to customers that have been with you for a couple weeks or a couple days even the same way so you might want to have a cohort-based communication strategy let's look into actionable retention now and the things that we did at feedback panda to keep customer retention as high as possible staying in touch with your customers will just keep them engaged i guess that's a cardinal rule offer weekly newsletter to expose them to things that happen in their industry. And that will do two things. First, it will associate your business with a trusted source of information, or you will become one. It really depends on how you go about creating that newsletter. And second, it will also show 
that you actually know what you're talking about. Building trust and reputation goes a long way toward retaining a customer. Second, tighten and focus your onboarding. A customer who gets it quickly after signing up will stay with you longer and think of your business as a dependable service. If you can reduce the number of steps until your prospective customer reaches that aha moment, go for that. There's nothing better than a customer telling their peers that your service is a no-brainer or something that was super easy to get into. Because that initial kind of perception will color the rest of your relationship. Or at least will make it quite hard if it doesn't work out. Like if it's super hard to onboard for a customer, you will have to do a lot of work to make them feel like this was actually an enjoyable experience for them. So make sure that your onboarding is on point. And then the old adage, do things that don't scale. In the beginning, send postcards. Delight your customers with surprises on their birthdays, if you have this kind of information. Send them a gift after they've been with you for a year. Host a meetup in the city where most of them live and invite them all. Surprise them in ways that other businesses can't and wouldn't. Not only will this make your customers stick around, but word will travel. And you will benefit from your customers sharing their delight and surprise with each other. When we had our first 100 customers, we sent out postcards to all of them. It was excruciating to handwrite these postcards, but it was definitely worth it because the the amount of uh, customers that shared photos of receiving these postcards in the mail was quite staggering. And consequently, a lot of prospects signed up for our service. When there was a conference um, in a in the North American city of one of those those schools that our customers actually worked for, being online English teachers working for um, Chinese online education companies, we actually went there, or Danielle went there and hosted a meetup in the city for the users of a product. And a lot of people came, and it was really nice for her to connect with those people because. It's, it's a different thing to connect with people through intercom and have a conversation. That's already great. It's much better to not connecting with them at all. But being there and actually being able to just chat with them and hearing about their problems, both with the product, with their work, and just anything that makes you relate to them more is incredibly valuable. And I guess once you have a certain amount of customers, you can be pretty sure that there is a large enough number of people at some location to actually turn it into a meetup. So... That might be really, really interesting. Next, ask your customers for testimonials. Use those on your marketing site, in app stores, or any other platform where they can share it with their peers. This gives you reputation and your customer a feeling of being appreciated. After all, they are asked about their opinion. We often did this after some sort of intense customer service interactions where we solved a customer's problem successfully. And where they were super angry or at least very annoyed in the beginning and came out extremely happy at the end, a happy customer gives great reviews, right? So asking people after solving a difficult problem for them to maybe reach out and and say that you did that because it would really help you and help the business. It's a surprisingly high amount of people that then actually does this. It's like the recipe. Yeah, they try to reciprocate, right? The idea is that um, once you give somebody something, they are kind of inclined to give something back. And they don't really know what it is until you tell them. So by asking for it, they will be more likely to do it. 
in every interaction, focus on building this kind of respectful relationship with your customer. It's the one currency that is worth more than the money they pay you every month. Respect and trust are critical to relationships, customer relationships in particular. And that is what I would like to talk about in a second after thanking our sponsor. The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic have decided to support the Bootstrap Founder community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. Today's guest sponsor is Undock. The way we work has drastically changed overnight. It's always been hard to schedule a meeting, but now, with everyone working remotely, you can't even drop by someone's desk to have a chat. Getting time with your own team feels as challenging as meeting with someone at another company or another continent. It's pretty much the same distance. Fortunately, Undog helps people instantly schedule host and document meetings. And it starts with predictive scheduling, which works like autocomplete. And I gotta say, this is actually really cool. As you're typing an email, Undog suggests mutually preferred meeting times instantly. And those predictions take into account what Undog knows about you and everyone else in the email. It's very interesting concept. It compares availability, preferences, and scheduling behavior to make suggestions. Doesn't matter if you're meeting with another company or if some people are in Microsoft or others are in Gmail. Can even make predictions if the other person doesn't even have Undog. Undog's predictive scheduling engine is completely free. And if you'd like to instantly find time to meet with people without ever looking at the calendar, head over to undog.com. I did, and I really, really liked what I saw. Like, this is a really interesting product. So that's undog.com. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, or even just thank the folks at Balsamic for supporting our community, visit balsamic.com slash go slash bootstrapped dash founder. All right, today I want to be a little bit selfish and talk about something amazing that happened to me this week. I launched my book, Zero to Zold, a couple of days ago, and it was an incredible experience. I would like to share that story with you today. I want to share it because it was very surprising and it exceeded my wildest expectations. How wild? Well, I've been working on Zero to Sold for six months now. I've been dropping a few hints here and there that I will eventually release it end of June, maybe, maybe July. I wasn't too clear on the date because I really didn't know. There were so many factors in there. I was working with editors. I was getting stuff set up. I didn't know when it was going to happen. But when I had everything ready last Friday, I decided that this Monday would be a good day to launch. And for listeners from the future, that would be Monday, June 29th of the year 2020. You know, that year that is known for its book launches and not much else. Anyway, I decided to just wing it. And I threw together a quick checklist for the launch on Saturday, I guess, just setting up the blog and like switching URLs and posting a tweet, these kind of things. Just put it in the checklist. And um, yeah, then just looking at the amount of people who had engaged with my previous tweets, I assumed that for the first 24 hours after launching this product through Twitter, but nothing else, I would probably expect, could probably expect like 50 sales, maybe two sales per hour. Well, I was in for a surprise. 24 hours after releasing the book on Twitter with one big tweet, or I guess tweet thread, um, which I'm going to put into the show notes, these things happened. I had sold almost 350 copies 
of the digital version alone. My book was product of the day on Product Hunt in the number one spot within the first hour of being posted there and remaining for most of the day. The book was listed as the number one best-selling book on Amazon in the category small business, which now still really just confounding to me. My initial tweet had reached over 100,000 impressions on Twitter. It, it was crazy. In short, it, it was an extremely successful launch that completely eclipsed my expectations. And here's the thing. I've never launched a book before. I've never even done a product hunt launch before. I definitely never had a best-selling book any, anywhere. This is the first book I've written. And it, it was a whirlwind. It was a mind-blowing experience. I still can't fully comprehend what happened there but I can try to explain it. I think it's the full force of a supportive community thanking me for the work I've been putting out there and here over the last year. I don't don't think I could explain it any other way because hundreds and hundreds of people liked my tweets and my posts. They encouraged me and thanked me for contributing something meaningful to their lives. Like I, I got hundreds of comments on all the outlets particularly Product Hunt and Twitter. And I think one or two were even slightly negative. Not at all, just people asking questions. It was incredible. The amount of positivity um, was yeah, mind-blowing. And I'm still in awe of that incredibly successful day in so many ways. And every single one of those ways happened because there was a community out there that knew who I was, what I did, and that what I did mattered to them in some way. So let me bring this back into bootstrapping terms and business terms in particular. While it's a community, the Bootstrap Founder community is also an audience. And I've been talking about this whole audience problem solution product thing before. And it's still an audience if you have an info product, like a book. And I would wager that this community, like so many others, is a tribe. And I've talked about tribes quite a bit before. We certainly follow the same people on Twitter in the Bootstrap founder community or the founder community in the hacker community. And we talk to each other about business all the time. And all of these are signs of a tribe. In fact, we're right now in the tribal transaction. I'm talking to you about business and you're likely nodding at this point. I think I wouldn't have sold more than a handful of copies if it wasn't for this tribal community, which I've been part of for a long time. And having a large number of people listen to what I'm saying has been pivotal to this. I always had the hope that people would show up to my launch, of course, but I did not understand or correctly estimate the scope of what was possible. And let's now try to remove my personal amazement from this for a second and look at this through the lens of somebody who wants to build a business in a market. Either you can become or try to become a tribe leader and gather a group around you, or you can associate yourself with such a leader and channel your product into their group of followers. These are the two options here. And that's what I want to talk about uh, right now. Because my launch on Monday, and I guess Tuesday when I did the product hunt launch, it was like a 48-hour extravaganza um, that I'm still in right now. I think I'm in hour 47 at this point. Um, I'm in that community, the bootstrap community every day. 
because that launch that I did on Monday is an example for being a tribal leader, so to say. I've been interacting with people on Twitter. I've been writing and releasing articles. I've been recording this podcast and writing a newsletter every week for six months. And that is what I do. It's pretty much a full-time job, but a full-time job that actually generates value and wealth that I own, right? In so many ways. So um, it's, it's unnecessarily an employment position. And I've been working on the contents of the book for six months straight, every day, at least an hour. Most of the time, double-digit hours because I was just really focused on writing or focused on recording and getting everything right. It's, yeah, it's full-time. And it's not because I tried to maximize some audience-building scheme or anything like this. But from the moment that Danielle and I sold Feedback Panda, I knew that I wanted to give back to this community because they had made it possible for me to get to where I actually got. And I've been doing that for half a year. And I think on Monday, the community decided to give back to me. And I'm extremely grateful for that. So that would be becoming a leader in a community. It's kind of weird to call yourself that, but if you collect uh, a certain amount of people, if you gather people around you, that is what you are by definition. And that's that's all right. It's all right to do this. And it, it's I think it's aspirational for um, anybody who wants to run a business that actually empowers people in a community to become a voice in that community that people listen to. But if you don't, that's also fine. So let me give you an example of the second method of channeling products or your business through a leader in the community. Because that one is not as straightforward, but it's super interesting. I know a founder who's running an e-commerce SaaS business that serves merchants um, who sell through a large e-commerce platform. He runs this business in a non-English speaking country. So while he's an expert in the actual field of e-commerce, he doesn't have a giant audience. But he's a super smart guy, and he found the tribe leader in his area for that particular industry, and he cut a deal with him. The leader promotes his SaaS to the group of people that follow him, and both he and the founder split the resulting revenue. My friend is creating videos and holding webinars with that leader together, and has been doing this for a couple months, and that... I guess one or two months now after starting, he's looking at a five-figure MRR business. And that is what you can do as well. Like you don't have to be the leader, you just have to associate yourself with them. But both of these methods require an awareness that to sell, to be able to sell to an audience, you have to be able to earn that trust and then earn it. And you have to keep doing that after you start selling them something. This is more important for ongoing transactions like a SaaS, obviously, because that's a long-term commitment and it's a relationship that you're building. But it's the same for an info product like a book as well. People expect the book they bought to contain what I promised. So if I wouldn't deliver that, I'm pretty much done in the tribe. And I definitely don't want that in the community that I'm so glad and fortunate to be a part of. So once there are expectations, you better deliver. And that's why leaders in tribes are careful in who they engage with. They won't just let anyone into their group. There has to be trust. Either you build it for yourself by being helpful to the community, or you show in some other way that you can be trusted. But being part of a community and being honestly engaging is the best way to do that. There is no shortcut to this. It just requires time and honesty. And 
getting back to my launch of Zero to Sold, I have seen that time and honesty are the essential components of growing an excited audience. I had a great few launch days this week and opportunities have presented themselves that would have been very unlikely before. Let's just say that. I'll soon release more information about everything that happened, about the process of writing and publishing a book from scratch, the launch, everything. There are so many lessons that I learned ever since I started the Bootstrap Founder blog, from just writing an outline of my first blog post to working with the editors who are still using software from the late 90s. You can imagine that there's a lot in there to be unpacked. The writing and publishing journey for me has been quite illuminating. I cannot wait to dive deep into how I built that business and then share my learnings. It's going to be on the blog soon. I'll let you know. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-I-V-I-D-K-E-H-L. And you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find Zero to Sold at zerotosoldbook.com. If you have questions about this episode, reach out on Twitter or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder Podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It'll help other founders or founders-to-be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.